Hello, everyone. I'm Warren Smith in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm Christina Darnell, also coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'm standing in for Natasha Smith, who is out this week. And we'd like to welcome you to the Ministry Watch podcast. Each week, Ministry Watch brings you news about Christian ministries, as well as the latest in charity and philanthropy, news that we examine from a Christian worldview perspective. And our goal is to help us become better stewards of the resources that God has entrusted to us. On today's program, Bethany Christian Services caves in to LGBTQ activists, and the Boy Scouts make an offer to deal with tens of thousands of sexual abuse cases. But victims say the offer is not nearly good enough. We begin today with news from the Masters University, the California college founded by John MacArthur. Sam Horn has resigned as president of the Master's University and the Master's Seminary after just a year in that position. I know there's been a lot of controversy surrounding John MacArthur this year, Warren. Did the announcement give a reason for the departure? No, in fact, it didn't. The announcement uh, gave no reason for Horn's departure, uh, except to say that it has been one of the most challenging years in higher education ever, and we're grateful for our entire leadership team during this unprecedented time. Uh, The board had unanimously elected Horn, who is also an alumnus of the university's undergraduate and graduate school and seminary as its ninth president back in February of 2020. Uh, Again, as I said, just a little over a year ago, Uh, the board said in a statement that it would appoint an interim president in the coming days and begin a search for a permanent replacement. Now, during his tenure, Horn had led the university back into good standing with the accrediting organization called the Western Association of Schools and Colleges, which had placed the Master's University on probation back in 2018. He also guided the reopening of the school after a COVID-driven campus closure. Warren, our next story is one that you have been following for years, and that is the story of the Boy Scouts of America and its attempts to resolve sexual abuse cases. So what's the latest? Well, the Boy Scouts of America, the BSA, has uh, proposed setting up a trust of approximately $300 million to both evaluate and then ultimately settle sexual abuse claims. The trust would draw on assets owned by the BSA, by the local councils around the country, and also a collection of Norman Rockwell paintings that the Boy Scouts has owned for years. Uh, The trust would make payments to the approximately 85 thousand people who have so far claimed abuse by scout leaders. Do you think that the Boy Scouts offer will be accepted? Well, no, I don't. In fact, the lawyers for the victims have already said that $300 million is not going to be nearly enough money. But these sorts of structures have become popular in recent years when organizations face massive legal liabilities. We saw it, for example, in the tobacco industry and uh, with companies associated with the opioid crisis. Uh, And the way it works is that first, the organization, in this case, the Boy Scouts, declares Chapter 11. 11 bankruptcy, which allows it to keep operating, but also, at least for a time, keeps these lawsuits at bay. But as I said, it's only temporary. The Boy Scouts did that last year, and now they've got to take action. Uh, that's the reason that they um, made this offer that they did. Uh, the Scouts want to set up a trust that will ultimately pay the victims. It's a way for all the victims to get something, but it also shields the Boy Scouts from 
from lawsuit after lawsuit after lawsuit until all the money is gone. And when that happens, and it very easily could in this case, the victims at the front of the line could end up getting a lot of money, but the ones at the back of the line end up with nothing. So the lawyers for the victims are not challenging the process, but they're saying the scouts need to put a lot more money in the trust fund. Is that possible? Well, it is, though, of course, there is a limit. I'm not exactly sure where it is. The current uh, bankruptcy exit plan would be funded, um, again, as I said, by the sale of the Boy Scouts iconic Norman Rockwell paintings and the sale of other assets plus the insurance proceeds. It's hard to know exactly how much all of that will be worth because these Norman Rockwell paintings, for example, have never gone on sale. Uh, They're sometimes listed as priceless, though, of course, they probably do have some economic value. Um, So it's hard to know uh, exactly what the net worth of the Boy Scouts is if it liquidated everything. It's likely, though, to be somewhere around or maybe slightly in excess of $1.5 billion. But to get to that number, they'd have to sell the Scouts two high adventure rate bases, one Philmont Scout Ranch in New Mexico, and the other one is the Bechtel Summit, which is in West Virginia. They've owned Philmont since the 1940s, and that would be a, another huge blow to the organization since Philmont is one of the few assets of the Boy Scouts that's actually making money these days. Mm. Warren, our next story is another one that has been unfolding for years, and there's been a new development this week. Yeah, Bethany Christian Services, the country's largest uh, Protestant adoption and foster care agency, will begin allowing LGBTQ couples to foster and adopt through their agency. Uh, Bethany is based in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It's got offices in 32 states. It announced the change in an email to employees on Monday of this week. Its board of directors approved the policy change back in January after nearly a decade of internal discussion. And when I said the story has been unfolding for years, part of what I mean is that, in fact, Bethany has already been working with LGBTQ families in about 12 states. Yeah, that's right. A spokesman for the organization, in fact, said that this new decision decision simply implements consistent, inclusive practices for LGBTQ families across our organizations. But a lot of evangelicals who have been supporting the ministry over the years, in fact, in some cases, all the way back into the 60s and 50s and even earlier, saw this move as a defeat and a serious compromise of the organization's historic Christian principles. Uh, The beginning of the cave-in by Bethany came in 2018 when the city of Philadelphia suspended contracts with Bethany for a period of time. The agency at that time decided to change its policy in Philadelphia and open services to LGBTQ couples. And then, of course, others has followed, have followed suit. And now we have this national decision. Well, let's take a look at one more story before we go to break. It's a story that involves the tragic fall of an iconic Southern Baptist leader. Yeah, that's right. And that leader's name is Paul Pressler. Uh, A state appeals court in Texas ruled last week that a sexual abuse lawsuit against Paul Pressler could go forward. And I should say that this is a dramatic turn of events for a man who is now 90 years old, uh, but was once a judge and an influential Southern Baptist leader who, in fact, was kind of uh, an indispensable force uh, back in the 
70s and 80s whenever the conservatives tried to take back the organization from moderates and liberals. This was a battle that went on for nearly 20 years. Now, the victim in this particular case, Gerald Dwayne Rollins, met Pressler in a Bible study when he was just 14 years old. Uh, back during that heyday, he was about uh, in the late 70s and early 80s, and uh, he has accused the Southern Baptist legend of sexually abusing him not just a few times, but over a period of many years, including an alleged rape in 1980. The alleged abuse continued, in fact, until Rollins was in his 30s, according to the lawsuit. I should add, in the spirit of fairness, that Paul Pressler has denied any wrongdoing in the matter. Warren, we need to take a break, but when we return, a look at developments in the United Methodist Church, and later in the program, We'll look at a Georgia ministry that has played a role in the transformation of hundreds of women trapped in addiction. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host Warren Smith, and we'll be back after this short break. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's SaveTheStorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, standing in for Natasha Smith, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Let's continue with an update from the United Methodists. Yeah, the conservative United Methodists have chosen a name for the denomination that they plan to form if a proposal to split the United Methodists is successful. That new name will be the Global Methodist Church. The Global Methodist Church unveiled its new name, a new logo, and a website on Monday, uh, days after the United Methodist Church announced that it was once again postponing an originally scheduled May 2020 meeting uh, that was set to consider the proposal to split. That puts the likely launch of the planned denomination at least a year and a half away. Uh, The United Methodist Church's General Conference, its global decision-making body, is now scheduled to meet uh, between August uh, 29th and September 6th of 2022 at the Minneapolis Convention Center in in Minneapolis. Uh, Delegates are expected to take up the proposal to split the denomination. Uh, It's called the Protocol of Reconciliation and Grace through separation. Uh, That's the formal name for it. This proposal, negotiated by 16 United Methodist bishops and advocacy uh, leaders that came from all sides of the theological divide, would create a new conservative, traditionalist Methodist denomination. That's this new global Methodist church, the name of which was unveiled this week. They would also receive about $25 million over the next four years uh, from the denomination that is left, which presumably will 
carry on under the old name, United Methodist, individual churches and annual conferences would then uh, choose which entity they wanted to go with. Now, if they don't make a choice at all or are unable to make a choice, they will default stay with the existing denomination. Next up is news about an important case before the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah, 22 states and a lot of advocacy groups have submitted more than 40 friend-of-the-court briefs in a Supreme Court case that seeks to overturn a California requirement that would force nonprofits to disclose the names of their major donors. The high court uh, has agreed to hear the case, and by the way, it's called Thomas More Law Center versus Becerra, Becerra being the attorney general of the state of California. Uh, That case uh, is going to the Supreme Court after the Ninth Circuit ruled that the center, the Thomas More Law Center, which is a Michigan-based nonprofit that defends and promotes religious liberty um, must divulge its list, and Thomas More Center doesn't want to. What's interesting is that both the liberal and conservative groups have lined up against this California law. Yeah, that's right. Um, Others filing supporting briefs include the uh, American Civil Liberties Union, the ACLU, the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, and the Human Rights Campaign, which is one of the largest pro-gay groups in the country. They're all uh, pretty liberal groups. On the other side, the conservative side, there's China Aid, which is run by the famous uh, uh, Christian activist Bob Fu, uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, and the Thomas More Law Center itself the group bringing the lawsuit. So what is Ministry Watch's position? Well, Ministry Watch's position is, as a default position, we are in favor of transparency. Uh, We think that organizations should disclose their Form 990s. The donor list is on a part of the Form 990 called Schedule B. And um, we think that uh, you can be in full compliance with our principle of transparency by releasing your Form 990 and not releasing Schedule B, the donor list. So uh, in a nutshell, while we at Ministry Watch continue to stand for transparency, continue to stand for the release of Form 990s, we think that uh, we would... um, be in favor of overturning that California law and protecting the names of donors because those donor lists have been used in the past to harass the donors, and we don't think that's a good thing either. Warren, I think it's appropriate that we note a couple of deaths of ministry leaders that took place this week, and you had a personal relationship with one of the men. Yeah, that's right. And that was Larry Crabb. Uh, Larry Crabb died this week at his home right here in Charlotte. Uh, he was 77 years old. Larry Crabb had written more than 25 books on psychology, Christian discipleship, and faith formation. Two of those books, which he published early in his career in the 1970s, uh, were called Basic Principles of Biblical Counseling and Effective Biblical Counseling. Those two books established Larry Crabb as a national figure in the world of Christianity. Christian counseling. Larry Crabb's latest book, which was published just last year, was appropriately titled Waiting for Heaven. And in fact, it was that book, uh, Christina, that gave me the opportunity to sit down with Larry Crabb, a guy that I'd been wanting to interview for years, both to talk about his book, but also to talk about his life and his career, a career that uh, spanned more than half a century. Some of our listeners here at Ministry Watch may not know that I have another podcast that I do every week. It's for World Magazine. It's called Listening In. And we aired that interview 
with Larry Crabb last September, and I really recommend that you check it out. It's a powerful conversation uh, about a man who was at the end um, and of his life, had the end in mind, and we now know finished his earthly journey most well. And the other man we're remembering this week is John Baker. Yeah, John Baker, um, I did not know, but I knew of his work. He founded Celebrate Recovery and the whole Celebrate Recovery movement. Uh, the ministry grew out of a letter that Baker wrote to Pastor Rick Warren, informing Rick Warren of Baker's experience in Alcoholics Anonymous. Um, that program, uh, which was uh, founded by Christians, I'm talking about AA, had some spiritual aspects, but it was not explicitly religious. Baker proposed to Rick Warren starting a group that combined the insights of AA with explicitly Christian teaching. Uh, We mentioned John Baker last week on the program, but this week we feature a longer article on the website that includes Rick Warren's tribute to Baker, and I do commend that article to you as well. Warren, it's time again to take another break, and I am Christina Darnell with my co-host Warren Smith. More in a moment. Hello everyone, I'm Brittany with Save the Storks. Save the Storks is a pro-life ministry passionate about inspiring the world to reimagine the pro-life movement by serving and valuing every life. Save the Storks partners with pregnancy centers all across the U.S. to own and operate a stork bus to offer free ultrasounds and pregnancy tests to women in unplanned pregnancies. Stork buses park near college campuses, abortion clinics, shopping centers, and serve rural communities that lack medical care. Save the Storks is pleased to be the sponsor of the Ministry Watch podcast. For more information about our life-saving organization and how we partner with pregnancy resource centers around the country, go to savethestorks.com. That's savethestorks.com. Welcome back. I'm Christina Darnell, along with my co-host, Warren Smith, and you're listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Let's continue with the story I promised earlier in the program. It's about a ministry called Gilgal, and they have provided a fresh start for more than 760 women in Atlanta. Yeah, that's a great story. Another great story, I should say, by uh, Bethany Starin. It highlights Val Cater, the founder and executive director of Gilgal. She started the ministry in 2005, so it's been around a while, a little over 15 years. And as you said, it's helped 760 women get clean from their addictions for at least a year. That, In fact, you have to be in the program and be clean for a year in order to graduate. You also have to get a job that pays living wages. And the ministry helps people find affordable housing as well. The current capacity is about 25 women at a time, but with women coming as they need to and as they qualify and leaving when they graduate after that year, so they've got women constantly coming and going. So they serve about 50 women a year. Interestingly, the median age of the residents is about 41 years of age. That means that some of these women have been hardcore addicts for a long time which makes their success all the more impressive. It does. And as usual, there is a lot more to this story. So you can read that at ministrywatch.com. And then Warren, let's close the show with our normal lightning round of news briefs. First up, the Salvation Army. Yeah, the Salvation Army announced last week that online donations 
doubled, and mail-in donations spiked about 49% uh, as the Salvation Army raised a half a billion dollars this past holiday season. The Alexandria, Virginia-headquartered charity announced last week that it had raised $557 million during the 2020 holiday season. That's an increase of 27% over the 2019 campaign. Uh, The iconic Red Kettle campaign, which is what you see out in front of a lot of shopping centers, grocery stores, and so on, that campaign alone raised $118.9 million. Well, since this is the first podcast episode of a new month, I understand that you've got a new list for us. Uh, Yeah, that's right. I'm sort of a list guy, you might say, and uh, we publish a lot of lists at Ministry Watch. This month, we have a list of the 50 largest media ministries in the country. Uh, At the top of the list is the Christian Broadcasting Network, which took in a little over $400 million in revenue last year. It's actually new in the number one spot. Last year's largest ministry, the Trinity Broadcasting Network, actually fell to number three. And in the number two spot is the Educational Media Foundation. You might not know the name Educational Media Foundation, but a lot of our listeners will know them by their more popular K-Love radio network. Since you're a list guy, I know you have one more for us. I I do. Uh, The top 10 list of stories for the month of February, which we published earlier this week. And at the top of that list, no surprise, was our story on the report released in February detailing the sexual misconduct of Ravi Zacharias. Continuing our lightning round, who is in the ministry spotlight this week? Well, Rod Pitzer is profiling Convoy of Hope, which is a relatively new ministry to now be so large. It started in 1994, but last year passed $200 million in annual revenue. To take a deep dive into the financials of this ministry, just go to our website and you'll see Rod Pitzer's story right on the front page. And finally, our ministries making a difference. That's right. A column that you do for us, Christina, and I'm really grateful for that. This week, you featured Johnny and Friends, Samaritan's Purse, the aforementioned Convoy of Hope, and the Permian Oil Basin and Energy Ministry, which is a ministry, I've got to be honest with you, I'd never heard of. In fact, it's fairly new, started in 2019 to serve oil field workers in rural West Texas. You've also got a few more uh, featured there as well. You know, Christina, I really appreciate uh, what you've done with this new column, Ministries Making a Difference. It appears every Monday. It's become a highlight for my week to get a dose of good news in the midst of all the, well, let's just say other news that we sometimes cover here at Ministry Watch. Well, and that good news will bring us to a close. Um, The producers for today's program are Rich Rosel and Steve Gandy. We get database and other technical support from Kathy Goddard, Stephen DuBerry, and Casey Suddeth. Writers who contributed to today's program include Ann Steich, Yonat Shimron, Bob Smitana, Bethany Starin, Emily Miller, and Rod Pitzer. Thanks to our friends at the nonprofit Times for contributing material to this week's program. I'm Christina Darnell in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I'm standing in today for Natasha Smith. And I'm Warren Smith, also coming to you from Charlotte, North Carolina. You've been listening to the Ministry Watch podcast. Until next time, may God bless you. 